Whether you're on the go with a summer vacation or decide to spend your free time with a staycation, the No-So's got you covered. Relive your favorite era of wrestling with New Gen on a Mission, Wrestling Warzone, Extreme Three-Way Dance, or the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Keep in touch with the modern era with GC Dub, Clotheslines and Headlines, You Know What That Means, and Viewer's Choice, or sit down and nerd out with No Holds Barred, WWE War, or The Wrestler That Was. It's summertime, and the living is easy. Because you've got the North-South Connection. NorthSouthConnection.com Podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at PlaceToBeNation.com The only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, cause you don't wanna be the target but not fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias, we call it the, uh, the place to be, the place to be, then I shall be. It is contagious, it is the place to be, and we are live each and every Monday. To do worse than Josh Richards. Place to be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscola, and this is the Place to Be Podcast. Welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosero. Can we reach you here on this Monday inside the PTBN studios? And joining me as always is my buddy, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Uh, good evening, JR, PIC. Good evening, Place to Be Nation, PTB Wrestling Network, friends and family. Welcome to episode 629 of the longest running episodic with a fucking gold fedenda. We are 71 away from <laughs> seven bills. Uh, JR, what's going on? How are you? Not too bad, of course. Summer's in full force. Always a fun time. July yes. usually one of the busiest months of the year is uh, creeping up quickly on us. So yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, so. yes. Be here before you know it. Uh, all its fun and frivolities. But speaking of summer, we have one of the uh, biggest parties of the summer to talk about here this evening. Of course, as we move our way through 2009 in the world of WWE. But before we dive in any further, why don't we go ahead and bring in our guest? You hear him pop up here and there on our shows, whether it's uh, different various things across the PTV and pop experience or PTV and wrestling feed. More specifically, of course, you hear him pop in on our Cronoso once a month on the North South Connection. That is our good buddy, purveyor of Loft Scores from Seconds, Mr. Mike Eller. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Um, Hello, Mike. Thank- hey, Scott. Um, thank you so much for having me. I uh, I just really needed to talk about 40-year-old men in DX acting like they're 16 years old, and I just had to be on this episode. So <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, really appre- I really appreciate you guys having me tonight. Absolutely. Anytime, yeah. bud. Great Little to have rock. you here. Yes. Uh, all right. So as we usually do, before we talk 2009 wrestling, we're going to dip back a little bit, 15, uh, sorry, 14 years, 
uh, and see what was going on in the world of wrestling and pop culture. So, Scott, why don't we kick things off with the world of pro wrestling this week in 1995? What was going on? Well, uh, pretty much nothing <laughs> on this date, uh, which was August what 23rd, uh, 1995. Unlike last month, Jr. At night of at the night of champions, where we had a ton of stuff. On this night, we have uh, nothing. <laughs> Neither WWE nor WCW had any shows going on on this evening. Uh, obviously, we are a few days away from SummerSlam 1995, which I'm sure uh, uh, you will be talking about in a moment with Herb. Um, and WCW was obviously, you know, in the middle of the summer in their, in their shows. Uh, I'm even going to take a peek here, JR, to ECW. And ECW actually, uh, just to cheat a little bit here, and mm-hmm. obviously you've covered this stuff on the uh, Extreme Three Way Dance. Uh, there was a show um, at the arena on August twenty third. Uh, did I get this right? Yes, August uh, twenty. Nope. Well, August twenty sixth, which is a couple of days later, uh, was a big show at the ECW arena, um, and that show had the. Uh, Eddie Dean two out of three falls match, which oh, would nice. make, which would make of course Eddie's uh, DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no show even in uh, Philly. Uh, actually, October August fifth. So we're in a big gap here. August fifth was WrestlePalooza ninety five. I'm sure you talked about that show on the Extreme Three Way Dance. WrestlePalooza. Um, uh, yes, uh, Wrestle WrestlePalooza. Did you know what the original match was for that show, but somebody chose to no-show? Sand- I probably knew it at some point, but it's been yeah. a while. The since Sandman been was supposed- well, the Sandman was supposed to defend the ECW title against Marty Jannetty. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Um, and, of course, Marty Jannetty, if you're stunned, no-showed. So, Yeah, Jannetty was uh, – I think he fought Shane during that stretch, and they had a pretty good little match. but Yeah. But he was supposed to wrestle on WrestlePalooza 95, which technically was August 5th. He was supposed to wrestle Sandman for the ECW title. Instead, Mikey Whipwreck beat Sandman in a non-title Singapore cane match. Mm. So the main event of that show, if you remember, um, New Jack and Mustafa defeated Public Enemy in a stretcher match, which I'm sure was a disgusting mess. Um, Val Pooch was on this show, JR. Your boy. Oh, yes. Big Val, Val Pooch. Tony Stetson. Do you miss some of those? Uh, you're up to what? You're in 98-ish, right? Yeah, we're in like the summer of 98. No, yeah. no I don't miss too many of those guys. I mean, <laughs> there was some there's some nostalgia in there for sure for that era of ECW, but uh, I've really I've really been a little bit more into like since 97 into 98. I've really, really liked. And that's where you kind of get the classic ECW guys. Uh, not, I mean, there's a lot of great guys in that 95. And, and 95, 96, you may even argue is some of the best overall products would you look at like work rate combined with stories um but it was a lot of transients coming through like for short yeah. days like like malenko like guerrero like benoit like mysterio like psychosis so you know like they're in and out 96 to 97 to 98 really had um or the back end of 96 into 98 has really had a lot of the stalwarts being dominant members of the company so right well a couple of days after the our date august 25th 95 uh at the flagstaff and jim thorpe um Listen to these couple matches. Uh, the Steiners fought Dean and Too Cold. Interesting. 
And uh, then Too Cold. Yeah, that one definitely was on. They aired that because I know we talked about that match, I believe. Yeah. And then uh, Too Cold would become the new ECW TV champion. He beat Eddie. And, of course, that was Eddie's last match. And um, uh, that was the Stay Eddie Stay and Bischoff Sucks chance and that kind of stuff. So Summer 95 in a, in ECW was getting pretty fired up. So, um, But that's it. That was There was no WWF or WCW on this date, August 23rd. So, JR, let's fire up the third. All right, let's do it. Some Herb Coons tidbits. We're going to start with August 3rd, 1995. WCW's Collision in Korea on Friday, featuring matches from the New Japan trip to Korea. The show will feature, uh, be cheaply priced at $14.95 and features <coughs> excuse me, Antonio Noki versus Ric Flair, Rick and Scott Steiner versus Hiro Hase and Kensuke Sasaki, Hawk versus Tado Yasuda, Bull Nakano versus Akira Hokuto, Scott Norton and Masachono versus Akira Nogami and Takayuki Izuka, Wild Pegasus versus Two Cold Scorpio, Black Cat versus El Samurai, and Iro Saito versus Yuji Nagata. Clash of the Champions is on Sunday as well. Vader versus Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. DDP versus Johnny B. Bad. Sting and Hawk versus Ming and Kurosawa. Renegade versus Paul Orndorff for the TV title. Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater and Colonel Parker versus Harlem Heat and Sister Sherry. The main event show will also be live, but is still officially not part of the Clash. This is due partly to sponsorships of the two programs and the fact that Hulk Hogan would have to be paid a bonus for appearing on the live Clash. Hogan will face Kamala in the live main event, which is most figuring that the Giant will lay him out to set up their match at Halloween Havoc. Randy Savage will also appear on the evening. I had a chance to see the Monday Night Raw show from last Monday. Raw airs on tape delay on the Sports Network. The big uh, Bret Hart versus Hakushi match was very good. Hakushi did a reasonable spice, space flying Tiger drop tope that Tiger Mask 1 and Cobra did all the time in the early 80s. It's also seemed clear from this show, from this weekend, Cindy's that Jeff Jarrett and the roadie have temporarily, uh, at least temporarily, left the building. The commentary buried Jarrett a fair bit, with the promotion obviously left a little confused by the situation. Jarrett was going to turn babyface eventually, and they had stockpile gimmicks to sell. Now they have to unload those quickly. As been reported in the news group, WF has been chopping people off the payroll, including wrestlers, in order of decreasing ability, in my opinion, with a big gap after the first two. The Heavenly Bodies, Hakushi, who reportedly gave notice that he wanted to leave, Doink and Dink, Head Shrinker Sioni, with two being strangely packaged, the literate guy after years of being a savage, Duke Drosy, Techno Team 2000, Mantar, and King Kong Bundy. From a fan standpoint, all these movements are really a good thing. The bodies are terribly misunderused by Duryev. It'll be good to see them back to Smoky Mountain. Hakushi was also arguably misused in its entire tenure. The rest of the list doesn't deserve a second thought. The Duryev is bringing in heels in Goldust, Dustin Rhodes, and Dean Douglas, Shane Douglas, a long time ago. When Shane was given these shoot interviews in ECW, there was debate whether his interview ability or the shoot content those interviews made entertaining. If this was the first Douglas sketch was any indication, we have an answer. This will talk that Dean will make a play to be the new president i think he's writing all these except for hakushi he stays around a bit into 96 but i think everyone else is does leave at this point so uh, there's a lot of talk that wcw has reached a deal with eddie guerrero bringing him in for a program with alex wright apparently these two and brian pillman will be used to build the lightweight faster paced division there's also talk that the company's pursuing chris benoit al snow and sabu dodf has SummerSlam on august 27th 1995, and the tentative lineup is Diesel versus Mabel for the world title, Shawn Michaels versus Sid for the IC title, Undertaker versus Kama, 123 Kid versus Skip, and a very big rumored match between Steve Mongo McMichael and William Perry taking on Owen Hart and Yokozuna. 
Sadly, I don't know if we'll see that, but it could have been cool. Uh, WCW have the UFC-style pay-per-view on September 1st and Fall Brawl on September 17th, now with Hulk Hogan. Tentative lineup is Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Sting, and Vader taking on Shark, Zodiac, Kevin Sullivan, and Ming in War Games. Ric Flair versus Arn Anderson, Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater versus Harlem Heat for the tag team titles. Diamond Dallas Page versus the Renegade, Johnny B. Bad versus Brian Pillman. There's also a strange suggestion that War Games may feature Hogan, Vader, and the Steiners versus Giant Ric Flair and Harlem Heat. I suppose we'll have a better feeling after the clash. My God, they should have went with that. <laughs> Would have been way better than what we yeah. got from this War Games. Uh, but that's it for this installment. Any thoughts, guys, on that batch? I think WCW, especially, it, it, at least it looks like they're moving in the, the right direction. I, the Collision Korea show, I know it's not the best show, but I don't know. You see, like, you hear like a lot of good workers on there um, and maybe getting away from the over the top cartoon shit that they was like beginning of 1995. Uh, that Hogan, that, that war games would have been so much better. Mm-hmm. Seeing Hogan like with those three like stiff motherfuckers would have been absolutely hilarious because he'd have been the softest of that bunch. Um, but I think that would have been a lot of fun, better than we would have got out of the. Was that what was that bunkhouse buck? What was that the stud stable and mm-hmm. right? No, no, that's ninety four, oh. which is great. This one's a stupid dungeon of doom. Oh right, right, right. <laughs> against like the like mega power team that's like completely like unfair team basically. That's right. All right. Uh, let's get to our next batch, which is from the following week, August 11th. No tidbits next week, though. It'll be in Montreal. Oh. With a little luck, you may go to Jacques Rougeau's show in Verdun. Uh, this is textbook <laughs> offense. Eric Bischoff during the All Japan Women's Tag Match and the Collision from Korea. Gee, is that the same book they teach from at the power plant? The Who shouldered a Hulk Hogan look over on exam night? The wrestling on the CIK show is... Short of stunted by the short match lengths, but it still was a good show. The biggest negative was the insulting USA versus Japan commentary. Clash of Champions happened on Sunday night. The promotion continued to build around the Hulk Hogan versus Dungeon of Doom story, in particular setting up the stage for Hulk Hogan versus the Giant. The Giant ripped the crucifix from Hogan's neck, repeating the angle done years earlier. The wrestling was on uh, on top was abysmal as anyone would expect, but there were two surprises. The first surprise is a lackluster match with Vader against Flair and Arn. The storyline teasing the beginnings of a split between Flair and Arn obliterated the work. The second surprise was the energetic performance of Brian Pillman, Marcus Bagwell, Alex Wright, and Johnny B. Bad. The Observer has frequently mentioned there's much interest in putting excellent fast-paced matches on the new TNT Monday Nitro show, so maybe this is foreshadowing. The Observer this week reported that Eddie Guerrero has decided not to go to WCW and that Al Snow was signed with the WWF. Both guys have been talked about as potential additions to the faster-paced division in WCW. Just when you wonder if it could get worse, WCW's tape matches to build to an angle where Big Bubba Rogers is allergic to Dave Sullivan's rabbit. Somehow this will lead to a tape fist match between Bubba and Jim Duggan. Rumors are still flying regarding Jeff Jarrett and the roadie of the WWF. Some say roadie's future was in trouble due to failed drug tests, and Jarrett took his side. The Jarrett party line is that it was bad booking to have Jeff lose his title and his claims to being a singer on the same night in his hometown. In either case, Jarrett still has months left in his contract, and the roadie still has a year. That means neither will show up in WCW for the immediate future, despite rumors that Jerry Jarrett's consulting position with WCW is being upgraded. WF for SummerSlam on August 27th, tentative lineup, Diesel Mabel, Sean versus Razor Ramon now in an IC title uh, in a ladder match. Yokozuna and Owen Hart versus Davey Boy Smith and Lex Luger. Alundra Blaze versus Bertha Faye for the women's title. Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum. Undertaker versus Kama and Skip versus Barry Horowitz. 
The IC title match was chained when Sid suffered a neck injury that will keep him out for a while. There's talk that the change will be Michaels versus Ramon is temporary. The actual match will be Michaels versus Jerry Lawler. Indeed, Michaels did issue a challenge to Lawler on TV. God, imagine that would have been an awful downgrade. Nothing against the King. But. Uh, WCW begin airing TNT Monday Nitro on September 4th. The one-hour-long live, live show will feature the debut of Steve McMichael as a commentator and is reportedly training to wrestle. I guess the WCW back to UFC style pay-per-view rumored for September 1st is not going to happen. Or was never really a thing. WCW has fall brawl on September 17th. Uh, same lineup he had last week. Uh, just adding Craig Pitbull Pit, Pit, Pit Pittman versus Cobra, who was formerly Thunder of Thunder and Lightning. Last week, I mentioned a War Games rumored lineup that included the Steiners. But after the clash, it seems they're likely going to run with a dungeon match. We may see a Randy Savage turn to put a reasonable worker on the heel side, perhaps. There will be a real UFC-style pay-per-view on October 7th. So, pretty straightforward again here. Uh, any thoughts, Mikey? Um, he said Eddie wasn't coming. I, yeah. yeah, I could be wrong, wasn't he? Was on he was on night like pretty early nitros, wasn't he? Yeah, he's there pretty quick in '95. Yeah. So that we'll see. On this next batch, you may have him there. <laughs> Changes <laughs> constantly with him. Um, first off, uh, I like the fact that we will have new winners. And I also think that uh, where did he get this fucking uh, WC, uh, this UFC style? Like, who the hell came up with that? Like, <laughs> I don't know. He, he like beat that rumor into the ground, and I never heard that. I, I don't, I don't know. I've just never heard that that was ever a thing. So I don't know where he got that from, but I've never heard that that WCW was doing a UFC shoot pay per view. I never, never knew that. So, but he, boy, he beat that sucker into the ground. Uh, obviously, as we just read, uh, Eddie was pretty much locked in to go to WCW. So I don't know where he's, you know, the skepticism was. It was pretty much a done deal. So I think all those guys, him, Dean, uh, Benoit, it was pretty much locked up that they were going. So I don't know. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, don't forget, he's just relying on a lot of random Internet rumors and the Internet was the Wild West. So that is true. Uh, all, right. all right, the final batch for tonight is August 18th. He gives a very long rundown of this Verdun show, Chakra Joe's promotion. Uh, I'm not going to read through that. So we are going to jump ahead. SummerSlam on August 27th, pretty much the same card. Uh, he doesn't have the tag title match on here anymore. He's added Hakushi versus 123Kid, Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Bob Holly, and the Smoking Guns versus the Brothers Blue. The lineup for this show has improved a fair bit since the original lineup. The dropping of Sid in the IC title match gave a big boost, replacing him with Razor Ramon. Now replacing the tag title match of Yoko and Owen versus Luger and Dave Boy Smith with the bottom three matches seems like an improvement. Certainly adding Hakushi versus one through the kid is a good move. By my count on paper, the show has two definite greats, three definite dogs, and four matches that'll probably be mediocre. Dustin Rhodes' Goldust character will see him paint his face gold. Jim Neidhart suffered a heart attack during a match with Cactus Jack last week. I don't, I don't know if that's real or not, but... Um, who knows? The retired Mike IRS Rotunda will apparently return to the ring with WCW. I thought Rotunda was working as a road agent, so I guess WCW made him a good offer. Hakushi's still with the WF after all. He's scheduled to leave and was soundly thrashed by Bret Hart Raw, which would have been his final appearance. But it sounds like he'll slowly be rebuilt. On this past weekend, Superstars, he was put over Aldo Montoya. Just to summarize his current standing of WF Wrestling Talent Cuts, here's the list as I know it. The Heavenly Bodies, Doink and Dink. Head Shrinker Sione, apparently who may be returning to a barbarian character. Duke Drosy, Techno Team 2000, Mantar, King Kong Bundy, and Tatanka. It's reported that Owen Hart even came close to getting axed. Of course, Jeff Jarrett and the Roadie are also on the above list, although they are still being talked to by the Dirty F. 
The spin in all this in the local press is that despite his figurehead TV role as WF president, Jack Tunney actually had a reasonably valued opinion with Vince McMahon. The recent chops of talent and staff at Titan Sports, combined with the loss of frequently supportive Tunney, has left the talent quite nervous about their futures. Take that for what it's worth. For all brawl on September 17th, pretty much the same card. Renegade is reportedly set to drop the title here before heading off to the power plant. DDP will move into a title feud with Johnny B. Bad. UFC-style pay-per-view on October 7th. And that is that for Herb for tonight. So any final thoughts before we move along? Uh, Mike, what do you think? Nothing much to add. It just seems like he's kind of adding to cards. Um, no, I no. Herb. I'm good with Herb for this one. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Herb is uh, shuffling off to Verdun, checking out some Jacques Rougeau wrestling and maybe checking out some of the local wildlife, maybe see a moose or two, or perhaps if he looks even close, he may come across a seal. Seal is also for the number one song in the nation this week. That is Kiss for Rose. Brings us into Scott Criscolo's Vintage. Uh, I was curious if you were going to uh, use Kiss from a Rose in your segue, and you actually uh, pivoted and went with the artist. Very nice. Yes, Kiss from a Rose, one of my favorite songs. I don't know if they have ever. seals in Verdun, but we'll assume. <laughs> um, Kiss from a Rose, one of my favorite songs of the decade, and it is the number one song this week, of course, from the Batman Forever soundtrack by, uh, by Seal. Uh, Waterfalls, which was our number one song, uh, which was our number one song last show, JR, dropped to number two. Uh, Boombastic by Shaggy at three. This is, of course, the week ending uh, August 26th, 1995. Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas by Vanessa Williams at four. I Can Love You Like That by All for One at five. Gangsta's Paradise mm. by Julio from Dangerous Minds, which is an unheralded uh, 90s flick. At number six, He's Mine by Mo, by Moken Steph at seven. Uh, Don't Take It Personal by Monica at eight. Run Around by Blues Traveler at nine. And One More Chance, Stay With Me by Biggie at ten. So there we go. Uh, God, Gangsta's Paradise. What a great song. Absolutely mm-hmm. amazing song. Love it. So there's your top ten. Still pretty good, JR. Still got some good heavyweights there as we head into the fall. Um, let's go now from the radio to the... Uh, to the movies and what is going on in the theater this week, ending August 25th, 1995. Here are your top 10 movies. Number 10, The Net with uh, Sandra Bullock. Number nine, Apollo 13. Uh, number eight, Waterworld, which plummeted. We made fun of Waterworld uh, on our last show two weeks ago, and uh, it's uh, dropped pretty heavily down to number eight. Number seven, Babe, not The Babe. Pig movie. The pig, just yeah. Babe. Babe the pig. Not the John Goodman, Babe Ruth the babe. Just Babe. Number six, something to talk about. Is that one of your movies, JR? Isn't that the. No. That's not the Meryl Streep, Alec no, Baldwin. No, that's it's complicated. That's way that's later. It's like a decade later. Yeah. Oh, okay. Something to talk about at number six. Lord of Illusions debuted this week at number five. I don't even remember that movie. Uh, a Walk in the Clouds at number four. Dangerous Minds, speaking of Coolio. Dangerous Minds at number three. 
Uh, did you ever see that, uh, Mike? A long time ago. It was on yeah. TV like a while ago, but yeah, it was a good movie. I mean, the song kind of overshadowed the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I enjoyed it. Sitting mm. backwards in the chair. Yep. <laughs> He's a fat guy. Good. Yelled in her face. Good video, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, Desperado uh, debuts this week. That's a pretty good Western film. I believe that's the one with uh, Val Kilmer, I'm Your Huckleberry, and Kurt Russell. I think, no, that's that's Tombstone. Who the hell's in Desperado? I can't even remember. Ben, Benderis and Selma Hayek. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, that's right. I was thinking of uh, Tombstone is the one with uh, Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell. And the number one movie of the weekend. We all remember it. It spawned questionably average sequels, but on this weekend debuted the original Mortal Kombat. Great movie. Pretty good timing for us as the new video games are going to be coming out. That's right. Um, First movie was really good. Second movie was eh. Third movie was pretty solid. So, um... So there you go. There is your top 10 uh, movies of uh, this weekend, August 26th, 1995. Now let us take a look at Major League Baseball on this date, August 26th, 1995. Um, Mr. Eller, I believe, if I remember correctly, you are a fan of the, well, I call them the Gardindians, mm-hmm. but uh of course, the 95 Cleveland Indians were literally on fire mm-hmm. um, in 1995. They got the pieces together. They had that absolutely fucking loaded team. And on this date, August 23rd, uh, 1995, the Indians uh, did – oh, they beat, the, they beat the Blue Jays 6-5. to uh, The uh, Mets lost at home to the yes. Giants. And the A's beat the Yankees 2-1. Uh, to uh, Oh, Jack McDowell. Oh. Big fucking asshole. Uh, anyway, so what I was saying about the divisions being so bad in the mid mm-hmm. in this first season of wild cards and extra divisions, uh, the AL East Red Sox led the Yankees by fourteen and a half. Mm-hmm. Yankees were slowly moving up though. Uh, Cleveland, of course, uh, Mr. Eller was red hot, seventy three and thirty five. They were comfortably ahead of Milwaukee. Uh, the Angels with a seven and a half game lead over Texas in the West. In the NL East, Braves by 14 and a half over Philly. Uh, the Mets were in last. Big shock. Uh, Cincinnati leading the Central by 11 over Houston. Uh, and the Dodgers with the closest race, just a game and a half ahead of the Rockies. Now the go to the, so go to the AL West. What date are we on? August what? 23rd? August 26th, 1995. 26th. Okay. What's the Angels lead? The Angels were up by seven and a half on the Rangers, 11 and a half on the Mariners, okay. and 13 and a half on the last place A's. So it is August 26th, and the Mariners sit 11 and a half back. So we'll yep. see on our next show where they're at. But that's it's crazy. Guess. They hadn't really started their comeback yet. It's like, no. that's the run they make is insane to get to that playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Right. They, they got like, I mean, they got red hot. Randy Johnson, of course, pretty much was unhittable for about six straight weeks. Um, it was pretty huge. Uh, Mike, were you thinking. I mean, think about it. There could have been, at the time, there was thoughts of an all-Buckeye World Series, right? I was hoping for it. Um, I kind of got lucky. That was, like, my first or second year following baseball. And, like, my dad had sit through 35 years of shit teams, and I come right in, and they win 100 games. Um, So (laughs) I I was hoping for it. 
Uh, I mean, our team was just stacked with that lineup and uh, Bell, Bayerga, Ramirez, Lofton, Tomey, like Manny Ramirez hit seventh in that lineup. Um, just unbelievable. Uh, it was a good time. I mean, I know they didn't win at all, but it was a fun time to be a fan. Well, and the Jake was only a year old, so you had a nice shiny new ballpark. You weren't playing at that fucking dump, the mistake by the lake anymore. And um, yeah, and, and the Reds, I mean, I forgot the mid-90s Reds were actually not that bad. Um, I think they kind of dip off here after this year. Um, yeah. I, know, I think they get swept in the first round. Uh, I know they don't have much of a run in there. but Yeah, but pretty funny that, uh, you know, there could have been a good chance. Could have had an all-Buckeye. Uh, World Series. But alas, that didn't happen anyway. So there you go. And that, uh, uh, JR, is your abbreviated pop culture corner. Okay. So why don't we go ahead and fast forward 14 years? Because tonight we are talking SummerSlam August 23rd from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. 14,116 in attendance, 369,000 buys. The 22nd edition of SummerSlam, California's 23rd pay-per-view, now tied with New York for the most all-time at this point. It is the seventh all-time in Los Angeles. Mikey, do you remember the last pay-per-view in L.A. before this one? Oh. Um, I'll give you this. It's within three years before this show. I got nothing. <laughs> right. uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you another hint. It was the last uh, brand specific pay per view. Uh, no way out. 07? Correct. Right. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, starting this year, the Staples Center will become the official home for SummerSlam until 2014. So we have a quite the run of SummerSlams going on here in LA. Yes. On July 27th, episode of Raw, Shaquille O'Neal was the guest host. We talked about this. Uh, last episode, Scott, the guest host era has begun. Yes. On August 3rd, we have a very infamous guest host, and that is Jeremy Piven. Brought along with him Dr. Ken and goes down in infamy on the guest host Pantheon when he calls SummerSlam Summerfest. <laughs> one. Uh, August 10th, Sergeant Slaughter was the guest host. That same night, Eugene made his first appearance in two years, losing a contract on a pole match. To the unmasked, or, I'm sorry, to the masked Calgary kid, the winner would earn a contract to Raw. The kid amassed himself and revealed to be the Miz, who had been suspended a week pre- previous. With that show being in Canada, Slaughter acted like a heel and trolled the crowd by teasing Bret Hart coming out and only to bring out Axel Jim Duggan. <laughs> that is a, um, a week later on August 17th, Freddie Prince Jr. was the guest host of Raw. So there's your rundown there. We're going to head into the show. Of course, we have our full boat of commentators here tonight. Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler for Raw. Todd Grisham and Jim Ross for SmackDown. And Josh Matthews and Matt Stryker in the booth for ECW. We get a very stupid opening video uh, with some corny DX nonsense. They're doing shadow puppets. They break the projector. It felt like a Muppet sketch. Um, <laughs> like, a, not a good one. Uh, so that was definitely 
uh, kind of lame, I thought, to start. And it really sets the tone for our third go-around with DX. Obviously, the second two uh, returns here were never going to be as good as the original uh, Sky. Remember, it's been a while since we talked DX uh, here, but the 2006 run was not particularly hot uh, or high on our list. So we'll see if this one, how this one holds up. But uh, they're featured heavily in the opening video package after they reunited over the summer. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Yes. Uh, we then head to the ring for our opening match, which is a rematch from our last show, and that is Rey Mysterio Jr. defending the Intercontinental title against Dolph Ziggler. How did Dolph uh, get back into the title picture? Uh, well, JR, on the 731 SmackDown, Mysterio and Finley defeated Ziggler and Mike Knox in a tag match. On the 86 Superstars, Mysterio defeated Knox by DQ when Ziggler attacked him only for Mysterio to fight off both men. Uh, on the 8-7 SmackDown, Ziggler defeated Finley, Knox, and R-Truth in a fatal four-way to earn a title shot at SummerSlam, and he would confront Mysterio after the match only for Mysterio to knock him down. On the 8-21 SmackDown, Ziggler and Jericho defeated Mysterio and Crime Time in a six-man tag when he pinned Mysterio. And here we are. All right. He open with that hot rematch. I see Belt on the line. A good pop for Ray. Dolph comes out. He's solo this month. Grish and JR talk about how he dominated much of the first match at Night of Champions. Dolph attacks at the bell. Ray hammers back. We're off and running. Dolph gets a quick near fall and a snap power slam. Ray comes to the air to hit a comeback. Hits a great moonsault press. Dolph slugs away. Tries to reground Ray. Ray slings Dolph outside. Hits a run off the apron. Dolph hangs in and takes back over. He starts to work the neck. Trying to go back to his game plan from last month. The crowd rallies Ray as Dolph gets two on a side slam, goes back to the neck on the mat. Ray breaks free, charges, but Dolph mashes him with the clothesline. Dolph mixes it up, hits a nice gut buster for two, slugs away back into attacking the head. Ray dodges a splash in the corner, hits a springboard senton, a hard kick to the head for two. Dolph nails a drop kick to the gut as Ray's in the air and gets back on top. Ray tries a flash roll up, but Dolph sits down for a close two, hits a hard lariat for two. Dolph runs Ray to the corner, but Ray comes back with an enziguri, misses the 619, and Dolph takes him down, hits a Famouser for two. Dolph keeps pushing through any comebacks, but Ray's able to snap off a DDT for a near fall. Ray finally hits a 619, but misses the springboard splash, and Dolph cradles for a great near fall. Ray tries to go up top, but Dolph kicks him in the head, tries a super gut buster, but Ray counters that into a Rana to pick up the win. In what was a very hot opener, they took the best parts of the first match, they picked up the pace and the energy, the crowd was rocking, the near falls hit, Dolph has looked great, got a ton of shine in this feud. Ray keeps finding ways to win, but Dolph is looking strong, showing he can still go, or can go. Uh, classic SummerSlam opener, Scott. It really fits in with past memorable SummerSlam openers. Uh, and I went three and a half. This is a little bit of a lost gem, I think. Yeah, I agree. We uh, we gave uh, the match from Night of Champions a little bit of crap because it was just a little plotting. But this was a good night for it to to uh, to open the show. Three and a half stars. Um Definitely uh, kind of the same as last month, but a different three and a half. Uh, felt much better, felt much faster. Um, again, Ray has done a nice job of trying to get Ziegler over, uh, but he keeps his Intercontinental title. But, but Ziegler is becoming a guy that you can feel is going to be around for a while and definitely solidify this mid-card. So uh, a nice opener, Mike. Crowd is, uh, crowd is into it. Um, and Ray is helping, you know, helping out one of the newer guys to kind of elevate themselves uh, in the mid card, kind of freshen some faces up. Yeah, um, went a little bit, slightly ever so higher, um, three point seven five. I was really interested just to see like two thousand nine Dolph Ziggler if he like was just like all bump, bump, bump. But 
he actually looked really crisp here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray is, you know, I think in 2009 is like one of his best years outside of, you know, the WCW years. Um, I remember like being pretty pumped. Uh, Ziggler, he went to my rival high school, but, you know, he's a local local dude um, from Cleveland. And uh, so I remember having a lot of interest when he debuted and like, you know, he delivered. Um, this was a really good opener and um, they started off well and I, they picked the right match to start the show for sure. All right. Josh Matthews goes to talk to Jack Swagger and MVP about their match later tonight. They bicker about what the match represents. Swagger takes shots at MVP for being an ex-con, uses flash and hype to mask his shortcomings, and MVP sets him straight. Says he'll teach Swagger a lesson in reality. And I liked this little promo quite a bit. I thought they both did a nice job. And here we go, right into that match. And that is MVP taking on Jack Swagger. Scott, how did we get to this very random match on this card? Uh, did seem very random, actually. On the 8-3 Raw, Swagger defeated Evan Bourne and attacked him afterwards until MVP made the save. On the 8-10 Raw, Swagger again defeated Bourne and bragged about the win until MVP interrupted and said he wasn't blessed with a trust fund like Swagger, though he was blessed with the talent to defeat him as he challenged him to a match, and Swagger said that they might compete next week as MVP shoved him to the mat. Later that night, MVP defeated Chris Masters when Swagger came out and distracted MVP, which allowed Masters to put him in the master lock and uh, Swagger would taunt MVP before giving him the gut-wrench powerbomb. And on the 817 Raw, MVP had defeated Swagger by DQ, and he would clear Swagger from the ring as it was announced they would face off at the pay-per-view. All right, Swagger's out looking cocky as usual for a SummerSlam debut, a big elevation spot. This feels like a throwback to old SummerSlams, kind of a very rare major show singles match at this point with no major feud or title, just two upper mid-carders going at it. So it's kind of a throwback to the old days. A good pop for MVP as he jogs out. He tries to slug away. Swagger wants to wrestle. Good job showing the Styles Clash immediately. MVP heats up first, cuts through Swagger, rolls outside to dodge a ball and elbow. MVP meets him with a Pescado. Back inside, Swagger yanks MVP off the ropes hard and power slams him to the corner. Swagger gets to work in the lower back, twists into a abdominal stretch, drives MVP down for a couple of pin attempts before hooking a camel clutch. MVP powers out, comes firing back, and hits a face breaker. The crowd's checked out a bit, but MVP tries to wake him up, hits a ball and elbow to a pop. Swagger pushes out of the playmaker. He gets two on a roll-up. MVP shoves through it to Yakuza kick and playmaker to win clean. Uh, pretty solid match. I thought the work was on point. It was crisp. The crowd just wasn't really vibing on it. Uh, I think both guys are proficient, but it's definitely a little low energy. It was hard-hitting and deliberate. MVP gets a hard-fought quality win, takes Swagger down a peg. Solid match uh, without clear stakes. The crowd investment was definitely a bit lower, Mikey. I went two and three quarters. Again, I think it's very good. This doesn't really get to the next level. Yeah, two and three quarters as well. Um, it just, I don't know. I, I like both guys. Uh, they're still pushing Swagger, you know, now that he's off of ECW and I like MVP as a baby face. I think he's like, you know, even though he spends most of his career as a heel, he seems like a pretty likable guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he just, I mean, he's super charismatic. So like the best heels a lot of times make the best baby faces. And um, yeah, it, it like, it wasn't just like a raw match, but at the same time, it wasn't like a pay-per-view. It was like in between. I don't know. It was like a Saturday night main event match. It just, it didn't a hundred percent click and, um, I don't know. I would have given them a couple more minutes too, um, mm-hmm. just to see if they could work a little bit more. Um, yeah, I mean, your uh, time is two, oh wait, two and a half stars for me. 
Let me see what the time was. I was curious about the length of this one. wasn't sure how long this one goes. It went uh, 8.24, so a good little pace match. Um, I'm kind of digging this babyface MVP, something different. He's been such a great heel. I actually really enjoyed – I really enjoy him in this kind of babyface role. Uh, swagger moving on from ECW is definitely the right thing because that ship is sinking, as we've talked about. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, JR. I kind of dig the fun old school, just two mid-card guys who hate each other, want to beat the crap out of each other. We don't need stips or belts or anything. I, I enjoy that. I kind of like that concept and ended up being a very good match. I enjoyed it. And, uh, I think that Swagger now kind of has a chance to really shine on a, on a big show and, you know, things may look good for him going into 2010. So big win for MVP, but Swagger's a guy that to keep an eye on. All right, Luke Perry and his family are in the crowd, including a young uh, jungle boy, Jack Perry, sitting next to him. So that's kind of cool. Uh, we get a raw guest host recap package showcasing Seth Green, ZZ Top, Shaq, Jeremy Piven, and Dr. Ken, and Freddie Prinz, who Randy Orton beat up. Todd Grisham's then in the ring. He brings out Nancy O'Dell to talk about Betty's Battle ALS charity, but the crowd is, poor crowd is booing this. I should say poor crowd, poor Nancy. Uh, she talks to Freddie Prinz, who talks about John Cena and Randy Orton. Just tough little stretch there here in L.A. But that brings us to our next match, which is a tag team title match. Chris Jericho and the Big Show defending against Crime Time, Scott. Very uh, set of random matches here on the SummerSlam. How did this one come about? Well, uh, on the 727 Raw, Jericho confronted guest host Shaquille O'Neal, and O'Neal would make fun of Jericho, who brought out Show, and they had a stare down, and O'Neal challenged Show to a match. Though Show refused, and O'Neal said they would face Crime Time with himself as the guest enforcer. In the main event, Crime Time defeated Jericho Show by DQ, and Show and O'Neal went after each other with Crime Time, assisting O'Neal, who knocked Show down with a tackle. On the 731 SmackDown, Crime Time defeated the Hart Dynasty to earn a title shot at SummerSlam. And Jarrah's show came out on the stage, and the two teams went back and forth with insults. On the 8-7 SmackDown, Crime Time did an edition of Word Up, where they called Jarrah's show Christina and Chewbacca. And later that night, JTG defeated Jericho in a match. On the 8-14 SmackDown, Show defeated JTG in a match, and Jarrah's show attacked him afterward until Shad made the save. And on the 8-21 SmackDown, Jarrah's show teamed with Dolph Ziggler to defeat Crime Time and Rey Mysterio in a six-man tag brings us here all right our champs gelling by the day have some great swagger an all-time mashup theme between jericho and big show's music jericho grabs the mic talks him up with his usual shtick but big show gets cut off as crime time come out and of course making their summer sand debut haven't been featured as much lately though uh, we saw a lot of them in 08 jericho and jtg start off jtg keeps jericho off balance with some quick strikes grabbing an air fall jericho tries to bully into control goes to the walls jtg blocks and it's a leg drop off the middle rope for two Jericho fights through it, lands a hard punch, and tags Big Show. Show buries a headbutt, chops away, and cranks a side headlock, but JTG dodges a charge. Tags in Shad. Shad throws some punches and clotheslines, dodges a charge. Jericho comes in, but Shad press slams him before turning into a show spear. Show and Jericho take turns battering on Shad, including a Big Show full Nelson and a Jericho modified sleeper. Shad powers out and tags JTG, who cuts through Jericho with a flurry, hits a nice face buster, and cracks Show on the apron. Shad charges and tackles over the top. JTG gets a great near fall on a roll-up. Jericho scoops up on the walls, but JTG hangs on and crawls to the ropes to break to a huge pop. Show reaches in, slugs him in the face for the win. Uh, in a great finish. 
Uh, perfectly fine tag match here. Thanks to both teams digging into the classic tag formula. Show and Jericho have a really good thing going here. It's clicking. They feel like a time team on the rise. Uh, crime time were fine challengers, but to show Big Show and Jericho are dominant, the tag division not above it. So I think that worked nicely. The crowd is into it too. They woke back up. I really like the finish. It's the right outcome. I went three stars, Scott. That's a really solid tag match. It was. Uh, I gave it two and a half. Uh, however, um, I think the wrong team won. I think this mm. was a perfect chance. Crime time was totally over. Um, and because you had to slap together Jarrah's show, probably a good time to kind of drop the belts on them and maybe reestablish or just not do anything and make them singles again. But I felt like crime time was totally over at this point. And not having them win this match was, I think, uh, no pun intended, criminal. Um, I think this was a bad move. I think I think you totally stunted their momentum. They were crazy over with the crowd. I would have definitely had Crime Time win this match. I don't know why they didn't. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, Mike. The match itself is fine, but the wrong team won. I um I'm going two and a half as well. I remember watching at the time. I think I was watching at a restaurant with a couple of my buddies, and I remember rooting for, like Crime Time was really over. Um, when we were watching, I remember that. Um. I'm okay with Jericho and Big Show winning. I've they've mm-hmm. been a tag team for what, like two months now. Um, I dig it. JT, you mentioned how cool their like mashup intro is. I like Big Show with like the the goatee, but with with no mustache. I don't know. It's just the slight change, but a cool look um, for him in 2009. And um, I I think I'm good with. I again, I'm good with Jericho and Big Show winning. I think like if they want to kind of establish them as the dominant tag team right now, I think they have some legs on them still. So um, I'm more with JT on this one. Yeah. I think we're really building show and Jericho into a potential superpower, but one that can hang with the, with the rest of the tag division. I think like they're, I think it's a good place for a guy like both of them who were in the title pictures up above. Don't have that going for them anymore. I think crime time was over, but I feel like we're a little past their peak here. Like, I don't think they got much left. I think the time for them was like, oh, wait, like that's when they should have been um, more in the tag title picture. But again, this was fine. I just I, I feel like show and Jericho were getting too good to, to rip the titles off them so quickly. All right. Josh Matthews talks to CM Punk. He talks about a screenplay that was written about Jeff Hardy, how Hardy conquered his demons and winning the title is a feel good story. But Punk says it won't be a reality based ending. He shits on Los Angeles and the hip, cool stuff like Kate Gosselin and a dork vampire and the country's intelligence spiraling into a poison society. Usual great uh, punk promoter at this time. <laughs> Dating us quickly with the Dick Kate Gosselin uh, name drop there, but so be it. We then head to a WrestleMania 23 rematch as Kane is going to battle the great Kali Scott. How did these two giants come back into each other's universe? Well, on the 731 SmackDown, Kali wrestled Charlie Haas to a no contest when Kane came out and confronted him before dragging uh, Runjan Singh up the aisle through, though he would let him go. On the 8-7 SmackDown, Kali defeated Ricky Ortiz in a squat. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky Ortiz, oh Jesus. Good luck, good God. In a squash only for Kane to attack him after the match, and he would take Singh through the crowd again. On the 8-14 SmackDown, we saw footage of Kane holding Singh hostage backstage as it was revealed that Singh and Kali were brothers. God, and Kali would save him only for Kane to attack him. On the 821 SmackDown, Kane cut a promo saying Kali should be scared of him as Kali came out and they brawled with Kali, clearing Kane from the ring with a chair. Brothers. Seriously? 
God. Well, let's see how things hold up. As Kane plods to the ring, Kali and Runjan Singh are out next. Kali controls right away with some punches. Kane hammers back. <coughs> Excuse me. Kali <clears throat> flips Kane over the top and pulls him back in, but Kane snaps his neck on the top rope. Kane walks into a punch, but dodges a leg drop. Hits a seated drop kick for two. Kane starts to pelt with elbows, but Kali comes back and punches away. The crowd starts to tilt out as Kali ambles through some offense. Kane comes back with a top rope clothesline for two, goes to a rare naked choke, and then into a chin lock. Kane, uh, Kali, I should say, pushes through, hits a chomp for two. Kane drags Runjin into the ring and throws him into Kali, and then drop kicks his knee and DDTs Kali for the win. Just about what you'd expect. It was slow and awkward. Uh, they tried, but and it felt like a spectacle. Uh, but I, I think it should have been even shorter than it was. We didn't need an extended rear naked choke. Uh, keep it a giant, you know, special giant war out, out of the other stuff. Uh, Kane winning made sense, given the two options. Cully's pretty washed by now. Uh, so, anyway, Scott, I went two stars. Fine. Pedantic. Pedantic. Pedantically pedantic. I also gave it two stars. Um, I don't totally get the point of this feud. Uh I don't understand why Runjan Singh and Kali had to be brothers. I think that's fucking stupid. Um, but this match is fine, Mike. There's really not much to say here. Just two big guys slapping me. Yeah, one and a half for me. Um, slow, what you expect, I guess. Uh, silver lining, it may have been better than the WrestleMania 23 match. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was a goofy storyline. Just feel like Kali's been a baby face for like seven, eight months and just doesn't have any traction. But I don't know. They're if SummerSlam. They want to get like a big, big guy match. Um, again, like JT said, though, I would have cut a few minutes off of it. And uh, yeah, that's that. Nothing else to say. All right, we see Vince's uh, McMahon star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. We see Maria Menounos, Slash, and Robert Patrick in the crowd. So showcasing the stars here in L.A. We get a video package for our next match, which is the reuniting of Generation X, taking on Legacy, Cody Rhodes, and Ted DiBiase Jr. Scott, how did DX find their way back together, and why are they fighting these guys? Oh, my God. All right, here we go. So... On the 727 Raw, Triple H faced Rhodes in a beat-the-clock challenge match, which went to a no contest when DiBiase got involved. On the 8-3 Raw, Legacy defeated Triple H in a handicap match, and Triple H cut a promo saying he needed help as he teased bringing Evolution back, only to say Orton was a jerk. Batista kept getting hurt, and Flair was signing autographs at the VFW. <laughs> uh, he said he would make a phone call and led the crowd in saying, suck it. Later that night, we saw Triple H on the phone with someone as he asked if they were ready. Who is he talking to? On the A-10 Raw, we saw footage of Triple H visiting a cafeteria. Where he f- this is so fucking stupid. Visiting a cafeteria where he found Shawn Michaels working. And he, what the fuck is Shawn Michaels doing in a cafeteria? And he tried to convince him to come back, but Michaels tried to show he was happy where he was despite taking abuse from his manager and various customers. In the end, Michaels gave the manager sweet chin music and set the grill on fire as he said he quit and would help Triple H. And back at the arena, Legacy cut a promo saying they would gladly face DX. On the 817 Raw, DX made the return. And after making their way backstage, which saw them put a trash can over Jillian Hall while she was singing and taking out Santino Morella, they would come out to the ring, though Legacy would attack them and say they were ready for SummerSlam. Shawn Michaels making grilled cheese. 
and did fucking... we already see this? He made the money back from JBL. He doesn't need to be working other jobs, but exactly. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. I mean, Sean's back first time since since the, the layoff. So DX back again. Big entrance to DX. They get all the bells and whistles. Joined by a bunch of army men in a jeep and they ride out on a tank. Really long entrance. It goes for a while. Right into their open shtick on the mic. The crowd is loving it, though. And the first time in forever they've done this. Legacy gets a boring-ass basic bitch entrance after that, which made them seem like jobbers marching to their death as they came out after the big dog and pony show of DX. Hunter and DiBiase start off. Hunter slugs him down and hammers away. Cody tags in, gets cut down by Triple H knee. Cody turns and slaps Sean on the apron, but Hunter obliges and tags him in. Cody and Sean float around. Cody slaps him again. Sean snaps, tackles, and punches at Cody. Cody returns fire. Sean slaps Cody who dodges sweet chin music twice and bails out. Sean keeps Legacy stooging around on their heels with some simple offense. Ted comes back in with a clothesline. He punches away to get fired up. Ted cranks on a chin lock. Sean pops out, mounts a comeback with a neck breaker, tags Triple H who comes in hot, cuts through both guys with strikes and a pair of spine busters. Hunter backtrips Sean into Cody on the floor, but that allows DiBiase to go low. Legacy takes over. They work together. They pummel and grind on Hunter, picking up some near falls. Hunter tries to break free, but Legacy keeps swarming him until he's finally able to throw DiBiase over the top and make the hot tag. Both guys tag out. Sean comes in red hot, runs through his classic offense until DiBiase clobbers him from behind. Hunter takes out DiBiase as Cody goes up top, but he whiffs on an elbow. Cody blocks Sean's elbow, tries a superplex, but Sean throws him down. Cody gets the knees up on the big elbow. Sean comes back with a figure four. Cody breaks out and blocks Hunter from hitting the pedigree. King and Cole talk about how Legacy has scouted all the big moves well. Cody hits crossroads for a good near fall, but things break down. Hunter hits the pedigree on Cody. DiBiase hits the dream street on Sean, but Hunter takes out Ted and they tumble to the floor. Sean and Cody stagger up, and Sean hit the desperation sweet chin music to win the match for DX. Uh, I thought early on there wasn't much going on, but the crowd loved it. They stuck with them, and then things heated up. It started off as a basic Legends match in the Saturday Night Main Event style, where Legacy was essentially out of the league. But once they got going and they took their time and Legacy got some offense in, I thought it got better. Cody got a lot of time to look strong toward the end. Things balanced out. And late era DX, you know, we know it never quite hits, but you can't deny how over they were. And they were super over on this night. Uh, the finish made Legacy look equal right up until the final bell, which I thought was a win for them. So Mikey went three and a half stars. At first, I was ready to dog this, and then as it kept going, I got more and more into it once it balanced out. Yeah, three and a half with me um, as well. I have to add, like, when you talk about the job entrance that Legacy got, like, I DX is entrance forever, and I went to refill my glass of water when I was watching rewatching the show, and um, I come back, and they're like, the match starts already. Like, <laughs> like I it really felt like just get them in, get them out there. Yeah, it um, did really start like a. It felt like a classic Saturday Night's Main Event style. Like, they kind of the hard finish, some comedy, then they go to break, you know. And it felt like yeah. maybe it was just going to dip into a squash. It started bringing back memories of the Spirit Squad stuff from 06 for me. Like, it was like, oh, here we go again. So, yeah, I was definitely happy when it ebbed into, like, a normal match. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I don't know. D.B. Austin Rhodes held, held their own. Um, it was awesome. Sean was back after that amazing, you know, five-star match. Um, I was, like, worried that they were going to go, like, you know, we get some, like, shitty 36 minute match but this was only 20 minutes and it it really didn't feel that long um i'm curious like to see what you guys think about the dx stuff as they keep going um i think that they become a little bit more self-aware and not Mm -hmm. like the 2006 crap where like they still think they're like in their late 20s um so i'm curious about that but uh 
I don't know. It's a reunion. You're not going to put, you're not going to have them lose, like, you know, coming out. So um, I'm fine with it. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I gave it, I gave it three and three quarters. I mean, at least the match is good, but this is sad. I mean, is this the only way we're going to keep legacy occupied? Um, I don't know. I, I just, Sean's obviously got, you know, it's Sean. So you're not going to get, you're not going to get garbage out of that. Um, uh, if this is just something to keep them occupied, fine. But, uh, it's just, it's a lot of fluff and it, it does open up the main event. You're, you're at least taking Triple H out of there and giving him something else to do. So I'll give him that. But this is just uh, – uh, it's just so frustrating to have to churn this out again. They're three years older, so it's even more – as you said, Mike, it's even more embarrassing to watch. Right. Um, but the matches are fine. Uh, I thought they worked their tails off. So I won't, I won't, I won't uh, punish the match for being bad. But the curious thing is how long is this going to go? Is this just a one-time you – know, is, is this just a one-time – thing for SummerSlam. How long is this going to go? Um, that's where I'm a little, I'm a little concerned, but having said that they did work their tails off. The match goes well over 20 minutes and they work really, really hard. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, punish the match mm-hmm. for what is a dreadfully beaten to the ground story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely got it going. Like we said, by the halfway point, uh, it's just that early spot. I guess you're just trying to reestablish DX and let them get a bunch of shine, but we'll see. We'll right. see where things go. I mean, this, this is going to be a few that goes for a while. So, all right, we're going to go right back to the ring for our next match. As to the ECW title as Christian is defending against William Regal, Scott, how did our Regal get into the ECW title picture? <laughs> it was, seems very rando, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Just got to move my page here. Uh, okay. On the 728 ECW, uh, Christian cut a promo on winning the ECW title at Night of Champions when Tommy Dreamer interrupted, said he would get his rematch the next week. On the 8-4 ECW, Christian won in an Extreme Rules match, which pretty much ends it for Tommy Dreamer. On the 8-11 ECW, Christian was a guest on the Abraham Washington show where he insulted Washington until Washington brought out Regal as the new number one contender. The two had a stare down, and later that night, Regal defeated Dreamer. Uh, let's see. On the 818 ECW, Christian and Dreamer were set to face Regal and Kozlov in a tag match, only for Co- Regal and Kozlov to attack Dreamer and give him a concussion. And Ezekiel Jackson would be Christian's new partner, though he would turn on Christian to help Regal and Kozlov win as the three men celebrated. What a very bizarre bunch of people together here. Very strange. It is. as a. Uh... I feel like we go back to this every few years, like kind of the Royal Court idea. You know, Regal was part of that with Booker in 06, and now he's kind of building up his own. Uh, so here we go. Christian, our new ECW ship captain, back at it. Saunters out with the gold. Matthews and Stryker level set. Out comes Regal with Zeke and Vlad by his side. Good veteran match. Regal building the stable. The two mouth off to each other quite a bit into the bell. Christian attacks Regal. He doesn't even get his robe off. Hits the kill switch and wins. So full-on squash, Regal, Zeke, and Vlad lay out Christian. Uh, I mean, I'm all for different things, so whatever. 
We'll see where it goes. Striker talks about coups and takeovers. I don't, I don't know. Uh, whatever. Uh, so I went one star. It was fine. I don't know if this was a lack of time or if this was the plan all along was to do like a cool surprise type attack, which again, I'm okay with because you don't get a lot of them. And it's that happens. Like you see it in real fights and stuff and East and uh, easy there boxing and UFC and shit like that. So I'm okay with it um, in general and principle. So it just stuck, stunk to see Regal finally get into the spot and then job out, but we'll see if the feud continues one star. Uh, yeah, I gave this, uh, I gave this a star as well. I don't know why they didn't take this more seriously. I think Regal would have been a pretty great uh, ECW champion at some point. If you're going to give him some kind of championship, this would be a good one for him. Um, I think uh, that Christian needed a legit contender getting out of the um, getting out of the uh, feud with Dreamer. Um but this is what they do. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand this at all. I don't get it. I don't know if it was just Christian making Christian stronger. I don't know. It was very perplexing, Mike. Uh, I wanted to do this deserve better. Both of them deserve better. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was hoping, I remember like not getting it. Um, JG definitely Val Pointo, like, it's kind of cool. Like, um, that they did something like, you know, a little bit different, but I don't know. Like, it would have been cool to see these guys wrestle. I don't, I don't really, I can't really think of a match that they really had. Um, I have no recollection of this group. I mean, I was watching at the time. I have no recollection of um, Jackson and Kozlov mm. with them at all. It, um, I'll go. Uh, I did want to add Stryker says something like really stupid. Like he's like, Oh, there's some psychology here from Regal. And I'm like, you know, the psychology of getting your face planted in, in three seconds. Like, I don't know what, um, I know there's a beat down there, but I didn't get that. So um, I'll go one star um, actually one and a quarter that we didn't have to hear Josh Matthews and Matt Stryker <laughs> for 15 minutes. So uh, bump it up a little bit there. Yeah. We're kind of in that. <clears throat> we're kind of in that stretch of striker where I feel like he was still liked, but it was starting to tip a little bit. I know when he moves to SmackDown is when he gets a little big for his britches and people start mm-hmm. turning on him. But um, I remember in ECW was a bit of a darling, I think in the boot. So, all right, we got a video on the WWE takeover of Los Angeles over SummerSlam weekend. And the video package is we're back to our kind of classic feud here for the world title. And that is John Cena challenging randy orton scott how did these two come back together oh boy um well on the 727 raw guest host shaquille o'neal uh announced uh a beat the clock challenge to determine who would face orton for the paper at the pay-per-view for the world title and mark henry would defeat carlito at 649 to set the time while mvp and chris masters went to a double count out triple h and cody rhodes went to a draw in the last match cena defeated the miz at 428 to earn the title shot as Orton came in the ring and held the belt up in front of Cena. So here we go, our old friends. On the 8-3 Raw, guest hosts Jeremy Piven and Dr. Ken put Cena in a lumberjack match against Miz, and right before the match, Piven and uh, Ken said they were fans of Orton as the lumberjacks were revealed to be legacy. Chavo, Guerrero, Jack Swagger, Chris Masters, and Carlito. Cena would defeat Miz, and after the match, Piven came off the top rope only for Cena to catch him and hit the AA as he would toss Jong onto Swagger, Masters, and Carlito as he stared down Legacy on the stage. 
on the 810 Raw. Orton cut a promo saying he would beat Cena at SummerSlam as Cena came out and dared Orton to hit him, which led to Jericho's show interrupting, and they went back and forth as it was announced Orton would face show while Cena would face Jericho. Show would defeat Orton by countout, and Cena defeated Jericho by DQ when Orton and show got involved. And guest host Sergeant Slaughter announced Cena and Orton would face Jericho show in a tag match the next week. And on the 817 Raw, Orton confronted guest host Freddie Prince Jr. about the tag match, and Prince reminded Orton he was in his hometown. And Prince said the match would take place, and Orton would give him a backbreaker as Prince was taken out in an ambulance. He would return to make the match a Lumberjack match featuring Lumberjacks that didn't like Orton. And Cena and Orton would defeat Jericho only for Orton to give Cena the RKO and went to the back as Jericho fought with the Lumberjacks until Cena cleared them from the ring. There we go. All right. Well, we're back at it. Like I said, Cena chasing the gold. Orton's got a death grip. Feud continues to amp up. Cena gets his usual loud split reaction as he powers out. Orton swags down stoic as always, has built himself into a star across his last two years. We ease into some control work by both guys mixing reversals, battling for advantage. Cena heats up quickly, but Orton cuts him down with a back elbow, works the arm, head and shoulder. Orton is methodical in his attack as usual. The crowd is all in, buzzing toward both sides. Orton stomps away, drops a hard-flying knee to the shoulder for a near fall. Cena comes hammering back to booze, but Orton snaps into a backbreaker to a pop for two. Orton sinks into a chin lock with a body scissors trying to choke out Cena. Cena powers to his feet with Orton on his back and drives him to the corner to break. Cena hits a five-knuckle shuffle, loads the AA, but Orton slips out and gets a scoop power slam for two. Orton resets and starts to slowly pick up on Cena, but misses a knee drop. Cena roars back again, but Orton dodges a charge. Cena flies to the floor. Orton drags him back in with a nasty hanging DDT for two. Cena dodges a punt. It's a neck breaker and heads up top and hits a guillotine leg drop for two. Cena loads up the AA again, but Orton fights out and gets a double clothesline. Both are up and slug it out until Cena flings Orton across the ring. Orton decks the ref. He slides out, leaves as the bell rings for the DQ to loud booze. Orton does it again. Lillian, though, botches the announcement, corrects herself, and says Vince McMahon has restarted the match. Orton returns and hammers away but can't finish Cena. Orton smacks Cena around, grabs his head and leaves and gets counted out. Lillian again says Vince has restarted the match, which it's almost like immediate, so it feels so obvious, like forced. Orton returns to Dodgers and STF. We get a series of reversals into an Orton roll-up with his feet in the ropes and steals the win. Hilarious finish uh, there. Orton celebration was good, but another ref comes out and tells the ref what happened, and we restart again as we've now gotten very stupid. Orton charges, and Cena takes her down to the STF. A fan comes in the ring and attacks the ref. Cena breaks the hold, and Orton slips away. We restart again. Orton snaps Cena on the middle rope and hits an RKO to win the match for good. This was perfectly good until that point. Uh, it felt like a big deal. The crowd was engaged. They both know their shit. Their baseline is high. It didn't go full next level with the fan engagement, but it was close. Then we get the first Dusty finish, which is fine. It paid off Orton's past escapes. The second was overkill, especially with how quickly the word came from Vince. It was it just made it seem fake. The third Dusty finish was so stupid. It actually would have been a perfect finish with Orton doing his feet on the ropes instead of what we get. So, again, it was fine until things broke apart down the home stretch. Orton escapes. Cena loses four times, which is stupid. Uh, so that really ruined the match for me, Scott. I ended up going two and a quarter. Um, I thought it was really good up until that that stretch of dusty finishes completely derailed things. Uh, I agree. I, I I thought the match was utterly frustrating, and it actually kind of gave me a headache after a while. Um, I gave the match just a two. I only gave it two stars. I was so utterly annoyed. 
I understand. I listen. I get that Orton and Cena have wrestled so many times, and we're going to continue to discuss this Jr. over our next couple of episodes. I get that you got to you know you got to make things different, but this was just really weird, and um, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't understand. I mean, I get being a chicken shit heel, and that's fine, but this just got kind of ridiculous. Um, thank God this was not the last match of the night. That would have really pissed people off. Um, I don't know what the hell's going on here. I thought all these false starts and false finishes and Orton kind of ducking in and ducking out and ducking in and the whole thing got really annoying after a while. And I was just totally frustrated. And I checked out, I checked out at the end. Um, I know this is not the last we'll see of the two of them, but this match was utterly frustrating. Mike, the whole you know, bailing out, coming back, bailing out, coming back. Like the whole thing just got really annoying after a while. And they threw, I feel like they almost reminds me of um, when Cena and Edge fought at SummerSlam 06. Very similar. Got pumped up for it and ended up being a throwaway. And this match is very different than the one in 07 that these two had. I feel like this one had a little more, what was going in had some more sparkle and they totally disappointed. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it stinks that they didn't, that they just did this overbooked mess. Um, You know, Cena's, probably a bigger star now than he is in 07. Orton's definitely a bigger star now than he was in 07. Um, like, I don't get it at all. Like, I think who it was Brett DiBiase who did the run-in at the end. Um, I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's, you don't, we don't hear from him ever again um, outside of, you know, him like swindling people in Mississippi right now. <laughs> but like, um, it just, did, it was dumb and it did have that big fight feel at the beginning and then just nothing. Um, I don't know. It just, it didn't help anybody. Uh, I, I, I was thinking going lower, I guess too, because the beginning of the match actually was some pretty good work and both guys are, you know, awesome. So um, they did fine, but I mean, this should be like, this should have been like competing for match of the night, not, right. um, and this is something that they could have done it. I don't know the next pay-per-view in September or some bullshit finish like that, not SummerSlam. Um, disappointing for sure. I think we'll see throughout this feud. Um, they overthink everything. Like, I don't know, because they did it before. They felt like they had to mix it up or they just wanted to get like over the top with it. It just gets a little crazy. All the matches get a little crazy and, and not needed. So I don't, I don't know what they were trying to do with this whole thing, but this did not click. It felt like they wanted Cena to lose, but protect him. But they ended up making him look worse. I don't know. The whole thing's weird. <laughs> yeah, it does no favors. I, I think like the this is like a, you know, Cena loses four times, but he's kind of protected. Just kind of like a, I, I, Cena's one of my all-time favorites, but I was not a fan of him at this particular time. I just, it was just too much. All right, time for a video package for our main event, and that is our uh, longtime rivalry. Now it's gone on a few months here, as Jeff Hardy defends the WWE title against CM Punk. Scott, uh, how did we get to this? A TLC match for the world title. Well. Uh, this will be Jeff Hardy's last uh, pay-per-view match in WWE for eight years. Um, this is it for him. We'll get more into that. Uh, on the 731 SmackDown, Hardy cut a promo thanking the fans for their support and said Punk could get a rematch anytime he wanted. And in the main event, he would retain the title over John Morrison as Punk came out and raised Hardy's hand only to attack him afterwards and said he would get his rematch the next week. On the 8-7 SmackDown, Punk cut a promo saying the fans cheered Jeff because they were weak like Jeff because they smoked funny cigarettes and also drank 
as he vowed to be the strong leader they deserve. Jeff came out and the two men brawled as officials broke it up and it was announced they would face off with a special enforcer and they competed in the main event as Matt Hardy was revealed as the enforcer and he would help Jeff defeat Punk to retain, which is weird. After the match, Punk viciously attacked Jeff and stuck his head in a chair as he sent him into the post and Jeff was put in a neck brace as GM Teddy Long announced Jeff and Punk would face at SummerSlam in a TLC match. On the 814 SmackDown, Punk cut a promo saying that he had won back-to-back ladder matches as well as taking Jeff out with a chair last week. And Long would say Jeff would compete despite his injuries as Jeff came out and vowed to beat Punk at SummerSlam. That night, Jeff lost a handicap match to the Hart Dynasty as Punk would come out and attack Jeff until Morrison made the save. But Punk fought him off and attempted to do what Jeff did what attempted to do to Jeff what he did last week until Matt made the save. He would help Jeff to his feet. And the Hardys reunited as long announced the Hardys and Morrison would face Punk and the Hart Dynasty in a six-man tag the next week. And on the 821 SmackDown, Matt did a sit-down interview as he said what he did to Jeff earlier in the year was the biggest mistake he ever made, though was happy Jeff could forgive him. And later that night, Jeff cut a promo on a ladder as he brought up burying the hatchet with Matt and the match at SummerSlam. Punk would come out and accuse Jeff of being drunk as he found TLC would be Jeff's last match and said he was better than Jeff because he was straight edge. And he would try to attack Jeff only for Jeff to give him the twist of fate. In the main event, the Hardys and Morrison defeated Punk and the Hart Dynasty in a six-man tag when Matt pinned Punk. What a tangled web. Indeed. Uh, but it's been a really good feud. We peppered the title back and forth. So that's cool. And we're really getting personal throughout all this. Um, this feels like a good step to blow it off. Punk feels like a real main eventer. Supposed to be a year ago. Gets the deserved closer spot. He navigates to the ladders, glares to the crowd as Grisham talks about Punk's ladder match successes. Hardy has his rock star entrance, and we get going. We get right into a lockup, some strikes. We head outside where Punk smashes Jeff with chair shots. Punk sets up a ladder, makes a run at the belt, but Hardy saves and tips him over. Hardy runs through his offense, gets a slinging drop kick, chucks Punk outside, sets up the ladder, but Punk stops him. Hardy shows Punk gets the ladder, but Punk catches Hardy on a springboard, slams him on the back of an open chair. It looks like it really hurt. Punk batters Hardy with the ladder, throws him outside, and meets him with a tope. Hardy dodges a chair shot, mashes Punk with one as he leaps off the steps. Hardy throws another chair at Punk and sets up a table, but misses a top rope splash. Punk sets up a big ladder and scales it, but Hardy blocks and makes a break. They battle for a moment until Hardy gets a sunset flip powerbomb. Hardy scales back up, comes close, but Punk shoves him off the top buckle into a hard fall. Punk hits a top rope superplex onto the ladder, but Hardy is first up, catches knees on a swanton. Punk crunches Hardy with a knee lift, but Hardy shoves him off a bulldog, and he crashes through a table on the floor. Hardy slowly sets up the ladder, but Punk saves again. Punk shoots Hardy to the floor, grabs a chair, tries to break his neck with it, but Hardy blocks and unloads some chair shots and clears off the announce table. Puts Punk on it, sets up a massive ladder at ringside, goes up to a big pop and nails a swanton with an awesome angle that gave us a view of the whole thing. EMTs pour out to try and stretch a Hardy off as Punk slowly emerges from the wreckage, drags himself to the ladder. Hardy fights free and staggers his way back in. Both guys scale. They throw punches and nearly grab the gold. Punk kicks Hardy and punches him off the ladder and grabs the belt to win his title back. As Punk celebrates, the lights go off. We get a gong. They come back on, and The Undertaker is laying underneath Punk. He pops up, chokeslams him to a big pop. So Taker now back along with Shawn Michaels here tonight. Uh, great match, all the bells and whistles, and both guys had zero concern for their health or safety. They left it all out. It was a fitting blow-off to their feud and main event, and Punk is back on top, solidified as Hardy heads off to take a break. The crowd was super amped, and they found the pace uh, wasn't too hectic, but never slowed down, and also had some big-time spots. 
Good finish to uh, cap off in the big spot, giving a boost to hope on Hardy before he collapses. Carnage. Mikey, four and a half stars for me. Just a great match to close out the show. Yeah, four and a half. And uh, thank, thank goodness that this match closed the show. Mm-hmm. Um, both guys were awesome. Um, I love Jeff Hardy. I love him this run um, from 08, 09. Uh, so definitely miss him. And I think the company is definitely going to really, really miss him. Um, just like as a super over baby face. Um, mm-hmm. Punk's definitely coming into his own. Um, I wasn't from that familiar with his ROH stuff at the time, so this heel stuff was pretty awesome because I got pretty tired of him as a babyface. By you know, I was even annoyed that he won Money in the Bank this year. Um, they just like yeah, they worked hard. It's really cool that they're like the main event, like John Cena, Randy Orton, and DX, and mm-hmm. these two are the main event. Um, I it's kind of shocking to see, honestly, but uh. Yeah, all-time great match. One maybe minor complaint is, like, after the big ladder spot, they kind of end the show. It kind of gets to the close of the match a little quick. But, um, no, Scott, I, I I definitely love this. And, um, you know, even though Jeff's gone, it was cool to see Punk win, too. Yeah, I uh, – this match was, was amazing. Uh, four and a half stars. Possibly match of the year candidate. Uh, they really worked their tails off and um, it was just so good. And, and this is where I finally start to realize that, that, that Jeff Hardy has grown up uh, not just as an overall person, although he would have his, he would slip again down the line, but we're talking strictly in the ring as a worker. I was never a big fan of his. He's a spot monkey who didn't know what to do in between his spots but I feel like this last year he has grown up. I feel like he he liked being trusted uh, by he liked being trusted by Vince to to be at this level, and uh, he took it to took it to the limit. And a guy like Punk who takes his matches crazy serious, I think Jeff Hardy had to realize he couldn't just kind of flop around like a dead fish, and he didn't do that. And I'm very very impressed that uh, that Jeff took himself to that next level to make these matches great. Everyone wanted the the you know the glass ceiling broken. Well, the glass ceiling got broken, and and here you go. So, totally got the opportunity and has rolled with it. So, I am uh, I love this match. Um, it kind of saved the show for me because I think the show was kind of like dying on the vine, and I feel like this match saved it. Uh, I was not going to give this match this show a very good grade, but uh, this match might have saved it for me. It might be the best match of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously it was a match back at SummerSlam. That, or back at WrestleMania. <laughs> okay, yeah. pretty, it probably is a match there, but it's at least it's, it's one of the top matches. It's in the conversation. Yeah. It's in the conversation. All right. Well, that'll do it for SummerSlam. Let's get to our awards here to close things out. For MVP, I went with Punk. Uh, I thought he was awesome in this match. He stands tall at the end. Feels like a made guy, finally, uh, despite the, the kind of fake out a year ago. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to go Jeff just because it's his last match forever. And I, I don't know. I love him. You know, it's just sad to see him go. Right. Okay. All right. LVP, I went with Cena. I, I thought he looked like a goof in that match. Um, that should be one of the biggest matches on the card to help push the show along and said it was a drag on it. Uh, it just didn't really click. And he just looked like a loser <laughs> coming out of it, which is rare, but it's happened. 
Yeah. Um, somebody had to suffer in that match besides the viewers, besides the audience. So Cena getting duped like that seemed very unlike him. I'm going to, yeah, I'll go with what both of you guys said. I'm going to definitely go Cena. I thought like maybe Kane, but I don't know. That match didn't mean anything. So like, uh, Cena was supposed to be put it. They, he looked like an idiot, and they're supposed to be put in this really high level spot. Um, right. You know, basically. I mean, it took up way more time too of the show. So. Yeah. yeah. Just nonsense and terrible, and hey, you know this could have been fine on Raw, um, but yeah, it stunk. Um, so Cena's my LVP too. All right, best match. I, I think we agree. It was all Hardy Punk. Yes, yeah. definitely. Okay. Worst match, Christian Regal. Yes, yeah. definitely. All right, best moment. I went with Hardy Super Swanton uh, off the ladder through the table. It was awesome. He was nuts. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Okay. Surprise of the night. I'm with Undertaker returning. Yeah, I forgot he was gone. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I did, <laughs> I did take it aback by that. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was cool. It's a cool way to end. You know, it's their first show in LA um, where they're going to be for a while. And, um, I don't know. Send the send the fans home happy, uh, and they did that. All right, final grade. It's been it's been my grade for the whole back half here of '09. I just can't shake it. Just everything feels to me like it's it's good, borderline very good, not quite great. This show did have a great match, which the last few haven't. But I thought this also had some lower lows that the other shows haven't had either. Cena Orton was really disappointing. It took up a big chunk of the show. Uh, I was disappointed we didn't get more out of Christian Regal. MVP Swagger kind of was, I was hoping for more. So it just felt like a show that had some pieces that ended up not delivering outside of the opener and the main event, really. So I ended up going six and a half again. That's three straight six and a half and four out of the last five that I've been at six and a half. But um, it just feels like the grade for this this run here. It's, again, very good, but not great. Um, I had mentioned two weeks ago uh, on our last show with uh, Logan that we were slowly creeping into uh, a term that I'm actually kind of coming up with called um, roster fatigue. And it wasn't as prevalent at Night of Champions, but I really felt it tonight at this show. Um, yeah, I'm happy Sean's back because Sean brings something great to everything. But It just feels like everything has just gotten very stale. Same matches, um, the same like 15 people. Uh, you know, now we got Cena Orton again, and this is the best we're going to get. I don't, I mean, is it going to get better? Um, it's, it, it's disappointing. And it's, I'm a little nervous as to how things are going to look through the rest of the year and going into 2010 because, um, we have some great workers and some of the best wrestlers in the world, but it just feels so dull. Having said that, this show definitely did not feel as good as even Night of Champions. So I'm actually going to give this five and a half. As great as the main event was, the rest of the show just seemed very flat and very bland. Um, DX coming back, and this is me talking, DX did nothing to make this show any better. So... If the, if the main event was not as good as it was, I couldn't even tell you what I would have given this show. So as it is, I can't give it more than five and a half. Anyway. Um, 
I'm going to go six and a half. Um, Scott, I mean, you bring up a really good point about the roster for T fatigue mm-hmm. and it's like the cracks are adding and adding. Um, and I know you're not doing TV, but it kind of, I feel like it bleeds into the pay-per-views with like the raucous hosts um, and more of a, less of a wrestling show and more of a, I don't know, like an entertainment show or something like that. And um, yeah, we're seeing it and it's the same guys and no women's matches on the show, which I thought kind of sucked. Um, I'm, I guess I'll go six and a half and it's kind of a bummer seeing how awesome 08 was and even the beginning of 09 and it's just, mm-hmm. it's getting worse and worse, um, which sucks. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fatigue's definitely there. I mean, this was, one of the reasons we we paused this timeline originally, right, was that we kind of knew we were hitting the stretch where it's a lot of repetitive matches, a lot of the same guys, um, and it does kind of wear you thin. And I, it's only to Mikey's point, just kind of starting. Like, sadly, I think we're at the beginning of the dip here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really liked 07. We really liked 08, beginning 09. But since WrestleMania, we're really starting to start to see that little dip in the action. Uh, it's not significant, like based on our grades. This is kind of a little bit, but it's there. It's enough that you can see it, and we know we're gonna hit some rough waters uh, in 2010 and 11. So we'll see as it comes. We'll take it one by one, as they say. Uh, Scott will be back in a couple weeks. Here we'll be talking Breaking Point 2009, which could be our Breaking Point. We'll see. Uh, we're excited. We have a very exciting guest lineup for that. Yes. Sure, check out everything we have to offer at the PlayStation Nation Wrestling Network as well as the PlayStation Nation Pop Experience. Uh, Mikey, drop us the link there for your blog, please. Sure. Uh, oh, the, go ahead. Sorry, it's late. Yeah. Uh, Lofton <laughs> scores from second. Um, been on a hiatus for a little bit, but talk of wrestling, talk basketball, talk baseball. Um, and uh, yeah, should be back there. Should be back with some new episodes soon. Okay. Right, cool. Okay. Check out North South Connection as well on YouTube and all podcatcher apps. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll talk to you then. Everybody, take care. Peace. To sing my songs and become a bad piano playing man. So here I am in this Hollywood city, the city of the stars.